0: Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and we have got just so many fun things to talk about in this one. It's always a great time when Raider Week goes your way, so let's not delay and let's introduce the guys. He wasn't sure if he was watching Mike Hughes or Mike Tyson with all that punching on the field on Sunday. Sam Blecha is
1: with us. What's going on, bud? You know, there's days that you miss certain players, and then there's days you don't, and... When I see Mike Hughes come in and do stuff like that, I'm like, man, I wanted Bashad Breland back at one point in time. And now I don't care. So, and also, by the way, did mention that man has great ball skills about seven weeks ago. So go back and listen to those podcasts to know that I'm always right.
0: He surprised Jackson Mahomes' logo incident wasn't the dumbest logo incident of the year. Jacob Allen is on the podcast. What's going on, dude?
2: Not much, but uh, you mentioned Mike Tyson makes me think that guy would be the perfect defensive tight end.
0: He's 5'9", 220, right? Like, I thought you wanted your defensive tight end to be like 6'5", 280.
2: You know, at that size, I can forgive him. Just, just think about it. Would a tight end go across the middle against Mike Tyson? I think not.
0: And I am Sean Deegan, and even as a blind, broken diabetic, I am still healthier than the Cleveland Browns' entire roster. Let's go ahead and get to the topics. Um, We are gonna pull back the reins on on humor here just to start, because there, sometimes you know we use football to be an escape from kind of real life. We just want to live in this micro universe that exists, where where a sport is the most important thing for three three and a half hours a day or once a week, and unfortunately, sometimes real life collides with football. And in this case, in, in, tragic ways. And this past week we lost uh, Demarius Thomas, former wide receiver with the Denver Broncos, who knows one of the better receivers that has come up through the division. And then also a little bit closer to home, the, the tragedy of Legarius Sneed's brother being murdered with a, uh, after being stabbed in the back and this is Larry Sneed is now currently uh, on his way back to Kansas city that was reported earlier today. So he, he might be around uh, for Sunday's game. I'd see God bless the man. I, I would be a complete mess. So uh, if he's going to be back Sunday, the man's heck of a lot tougher than I am, but we wanted to take a minute and, you know, give our condolences, give our thoughts on this because, you can't always escape real life, and sometimes people do need support. Give my quick thoughts here. Demarius Thomas was one of the better – I mentioned he's one of the better receivers seen in this division. From all accounts, he was an even better human being than he was a, a football player and it was always just a joy to watch, as frustrating as it was as a Chiefs fan. But that receiver made Tim Tebow a, a playoff-winning quarterback just to give you an idea where he stands. And then um, about Jerry Snead, you know, anytime one of your own, uh, and not and not our family, not our friend, but a guy that we root for, he's a part of the Kansas City Chiefs, and this is part of Kansas City and is our community, and that's one of our guys as a result. So anytime one of them's in pain, you're all in pain. I think Andy Reid said it best. He's like that entire locker room's grieving right now with him. So... um. My condolences, my most sincere apologies to both Demarius Thomas' family and to the Sneed and his family. I hope that they get the the support and the strength they need to to get through this tough time and can look at the, the wonderful life that um, Demarius Thomas had and the Jerry Sneed's brother uh, has had. Um, I want to give you guys a chance to give thoughts and condolences as well here. Um, Sam, will start with you.
1: Again, it's hard to, hard to put some... Things like this into words sometimes because with Marius Thomas start with again guy that that we kind of grew up watching. Um, so it it is one of those. It's like, and he's not. I mean, he wasn't that much older than we are. Uh, and I say grow up. We watched him through our through our when we really understood football. I think is when we really watched him the most. Um, but he wa- wasn't that much older than us. And seeing seeing a guy lo- lose his life at an age around us, it's it is hard to kind of comprehend. And again, we kind of talked about him earlier this year, about his story and and kind of the it's similar to, to what we'll talk about with Legarius Sneed, but I mean the guy had had a, a hard life and and made something incredibly positive of himself, even though he had to do that. So it is incredibly sad to to obviously know that he lost a guy or individual lost his life at such a young age for we don't really know the reasons as of right yet, what, what occurred, but um, obviously thoughts go out to his family. Cause that's just, it, it's unthinkable. Um, it's really hard to to put into perspective. And then luxurious need. Um, I had just read not more than a couple of days, days before his brother um, was tragically killed the kind of the Kansas state Star, it was Kansas state stars um, story on him. And if you haven't read that, I think this, it would probably go and read it and it'll put a lot more perspective as to how hard this probably is for him. Um, Just because, I mean, his, his brother was more of a dad than anything to him. And so obviously that's just that one again, senseless violence. A lot of times like that, that one's even harder to, cause it really is just like, why does this crap like that have to happen? It's just a, a really, really unfortunate situation. So again thoughts go out to nigeria's Sneed and uh, the mary Thomas' family uh, both incredibly hard losses uh, that again it's hard for hard to really put into words for me i don't i don't know what exactly to say at this point but
0: and jake will let you close this part out uh, if you want to give your thoughts and condolences as well
1: yeah sam's right it it
2: feels more real when you're closer to the age of these people that are passing away and makes you realize it's more than a game when it comes down to it because Demarius Thomas is somebody by all rights we should just dislike because he was very good and was very mean to the Chiefs on the field but from all accounts just great dude and so I mean again you know it's sad to hear from his family the Broncos did a great tribute to and they came out came out with 10 players only that took to delay a game Lions declined the penalty awesome deal uh also just kind of statistically Demaryius Thomas might have been the greatest receiver in Broncos history too I mean there's Ed McCaffrey's up there Rod Smith but he had one of the best five yard five-year stretches ever and I think we might have even mentioned it here about how he just had an insane dominant stretch back when I think we were talking about you know is there a possibility to bring him in does he have anything left in the tank those those types of deals so we clearly had some respect for that as a player as well and yeah, Legeria Sneed. It's just sad that some people just draw a bad hand and it just it just sucks. It's like we are lucky and that's something
0: to remember. Well said, both of you. There's really no good way to transition from real life back into football, but we we are gonna do that now and try to look get back focused to the game. Um, and let this podcast still be a bit of an escape, uh, from what happened and, and hopefully we can still be positive and fun here the rest of the way. So we'll, we'll transition now to football. And I wanted to get your guys' thoughts about the Las Vegas Raiders standing on the chase logo in an effort to hype up their own team and, uh, just to give my feelings on it, when I saw them stand the logo, I wasn't outraged as a fan. It didn't, like, hack me off. If anything, it kind of excited me because so I was like, there's no way this is going unpunished uh, with, like, the Mahomes, with Patrick Mahomes, Tyron Matthew, the ultra competitors. Somebody's getting smoked. Now it turns out, like, they didn't even know about it until, like, after the game. That's when they were really fired up about it, if at all. But when I first saw it, I thought, oh, Raiders are getting smoked today. Um, so what about you guys? How did you feel when you saw the Raiders stand on the logo? We'll we'll go in reverse order this time, and Jacob, start with you.
2: It made me laugh because the Raiders are still a clown show, yeah. And the earliest I've heard somebody say is that fourth quarter, they kind of caught wind of it. I don't remember what player it was. Maybe it was Tyreek Hill. I just I don't remember who it was. But they said something around like, oh, I heard that around the fourth quarter. I mean, you know, maybe somebody in the stands yelled at them, they stood on the logo or something. So – I'm sure they hear wind of things like that, even just from the crowd. But I'm with you. It was like, I wasn't mad. It just made me laugh. It was like, this is not going to go well for them. I was like, I don't even care if the Chiefs players know <laughs> these kind of things, karma wise, come right back at the Raiders.
0: Sam, what about you? What What were your feelings when you saw Yannick Ngakwe try to fire up his team by standing on the arrowhead in the, at midfield?
1: For me, it was honestly, it was a kind of one of those, what are you doing moments? Because if the, if the first game had been close, real chippy, you know, one of the, one of a typical Kansas city Raiders, uh, Kansas city chiefs Raiders game, I'd have been like, okay, they're, they're, they're trying to do the rivalry thing. You just got absolutely demolished two weeks ago. And you've got the audacity to come out and stand on the logo. Like you, you're something big. Like, it was just like, this is an absolute joke. And I just, I, it was one of those, my brain was just like, what? Because it, it wasn't even like they got that hyped. That was the thing about it. Like, they just kind of went out there and stood. And I was just like, what is happening? like So I I was I was with you guys. and I am like, oh, this is going be, to be a long day for the Raiders, I think. But at the same time, I was just like, what are they doing? I don't understand at all. Sam, which, which leads to another point. It's like,
2: you just got your tail whipped two weeks ago. Why do you need extra motivation to be ticked off? Like, oh, yeah, we need to get fired up now because this is a team we don't have any history with, and we don't have any reason to be mad at them. They didn't have a big score on us two weeks ago. Let's. I need to get you guys hyped. You're not hyped. You need to be. You're right. Just absolute clown show.
0: Tell me you're a broken team without saying you're a broken team. And Sam, you're right. Like, I didn't even think about it. But, like, watching, like, Yannick, like, wave everyone to him and watching the rest of the team kind of, like, saunter over to him. And that's that, to me, and to your point, Jay, about the, well, do you need more to be hyped about than getting drubbed the last time you guys met? Like, that team, I think they're – that probably should have been the final sign to everybody. Like, they are completely out of gas. They've got nothing left in the tank. They've been through too much this year. They're done. And and explode the Chiefs did on the on the Raiders in this game. This was as as Kansas City esque of 2019, 2018, parts of 2020 that we've seen maybe so far this year. Even including the last Raider game, Sam, you talked about it before about man, just nothing looks easy. Like when we first started talking about the offense weeks ago as a potential problem and not a problem, but like them not looking the same. And you said like they still score, but everything looks hard and everything looks easy in this game. Everything they got was easy. Uh, offense puts up 41 points, the 48 total with the defensive touchdown scoop and score with my cues. We'll get to the defense here in a minute. All that being said, how excited are you letting yourselves be? Knowing that the last time we felt this way was, again, against the Raiders. And, again, we saw what happened, where it kind of fell back into the old cycle of the offense was struggling to to score points. And even if they moved the ball, execution wasn't always there with drops, penalties, turnovers, things that didn't really happen in this game consistently. Everything just seemed kind of easy and to flow well. So how excited... Are you letting yourselves be knowing that this, this feels somewhat like a repeat of the last time they played the Raiders? Sam, we'll start with you this time.
1: I'm tempering my excitement pretty heavily, which I won't tip my hand too much in the conversation about offense yet, but let's just say I don't necessarily agree with you, Sean, about the offensive performance. <laughs> um Obviously it's I mean five games five games in a row. you're this is a a much different team than what we saw at the beginning of the year. Um, and it's it's all signs pointing in the correct direction. But I, I still think there are some issues and I, I'm not gonna let myself get too sucked into being like, okay, this is just everything's fixed, everything's great. We're winning the Super Bowl this year. Because I, I don't think we're quite there yet. But obviously, it is a much better feeling than I had even, I would say, three weeks ago. for uh, Maybe right before that last Raiders game where I was – so, yeah. So, obviously, spirits are up. I'm not letting them go too high right now.
0: And what about you? Are you letting yourself get a little hyped or are you still – kind of more like Sam tempering expectations for this Thursday night game coming up.
2: Well, we're about six minutes in, so it's my my time to disagree with Sam and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm jacked. I mean, you got to enjoy when your team's playing well. And I'm curious when we get to the offensive question, so I'm curious to see what Sam says because I feel like I'm going to disagree a second time, so that should be fun. But, yeah, there was a lot of things I did like about some of the things the offense was doing. The defense at this point, I think you've got to – the pessimistic people here are saying, oh, they still haven't played anybody. They still haven't played anybody, and they beat the Raiders. That's the pessimistic view. Optimistic view is the team still is so much faster. There's still three guys on the ball every time, and just like you can see the difference. So it'll be fun to hear what Sam has to say.
0: Well, let's not delay with it because I – I, I am somewhere in between you guys where I'm like, wow, that was a lot of fun, but I, I don't want to, for lack of a better term, get hurt again uh, and get really excited like I did after the last Raiders game and see them go back into their shell where it's, you know, a 22 to nine win over Denver is, is considered a shellacking, which technically on the scoreboard it is, but we saw how hard it was for them to get there offensively. So, uh, Let's let's not delay. Let's just get into it. The next next part I wanted to talk about is what did you see from the offense that you think is sustainable going forward in this game? Sam, you seem to think that maybe there aren't as many things as we might hope. How did you feel about this? What do you think the Chiefs might be able to continue? uh, Continue doing, continuing being productive with going forward um, after you saw this one against the Raiders?
1: First, let's get this out of the way. The Raiders are bad. <laughs> like, real bad at football right now. Let's not even try to twist it and say that their defense is good, because I do not think their defense is good right now. Got some good players. And one of them gave a very big concern of mine is is what, what's going on at right tackle, which, again, that's a huge other piece right there. But w- – when we look at the stats and, and I understand the chiefs played with a lot of very short fields in this game. There wasn't a lot. I mean, the numbers aren't huge, but the, the two, the two, the main number I'm looking at is Clyde Edwards helaire in this game. He did score two touchdowns and one of them was beautiful. I mean, that, that basically jump cut that he had uh, on the goal line, that was amazing, but he still had 10 rushes for 37 yards. That's not, Something I enjoy seeing when we're trying to see the the run become something that threatens teams. Derek Gore absolutely apparently is is the secret weapon at this point because nine nine carries for sixty six yards. Um, but no, I, the I think that the offensive offensive success where the offense looked better. I'm not saying that they were bad in any sense. Obviously, when you put up forty one points, you're doing something right but I think a lot of that did play with the fact the Raiders just are not a good team right now. And I really expected it to look smoother. And I, again, it, this is all from a point of view of mine. And, and this is where I don't care if Jacob disagrees because this is my point of view. And his point of view is different than mine. Facts are not into in play here. But, but for me, when I watched the Chiefs offense this week, it, there were still things that just like, the mistakes, the penalties were a big one where we were losing big plays off of seemingly kind of dumb penalties. The offensive line did give up several sacks that I was not real excited about because they were just beating players. And that's where the right tackle comes into big play. What's going to happen there? Because that's obviously not, not going to be the solution moving forward. And and it's just the, the, again, the lack of any option outside of Tyreek Hill scares the crap out of me and this is a game where if you look at the stats that's that's what I'm looking at right now I just pulled the stats up there is nothing that jumps off that page besides the scoreline and that is not what I think of when I think of a fully operational Chiefs offense so uh, it just I don't think this is a game where you can get too excited about the offensive performance because I think it's a product of the Raiders just being a terrible football team more than more than anything.
0: Else. Jay, what about you what do you think if anything is is sustainable that we could expect to see uh, in the games to come here as we close out the season
2: all right here's the whole reason i'm excited running backs they have a role in the passing game whole new ball game and that's that is why i'm actually excited because they seem to actually kind of figure out hey you know what we probably shouldn't run it that much with daryl williams but Daryl Williams has some of the best hands on the team and the ability to, you know, get moving after that route. And then Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is actually getting the ball thrown to him, which is nice to see. And I do think that is sustainable. I think you're going to see a lot more of that as we go forward. The other thing is there are going to, there were probably some people that complained about, you know, playing Patrick Holmes late in the game, but it was very clear in the broadcast. You made it clear of, They've got to see if Josh Gordon's going to work in all this. So far, what I know is Josh Gordon runs a five yard out and a 10 yard out. And that's about as excited as I am about that. But Sam's right, too. I mean, the Raiders defense or, you know, really the Raiders are a broken team. Like you say, Sean, they've got some good players on that defense. But that secondary is absolutely terrible. And they're the one team that just refuses to play cover, two. Again, though, if the running backs get going, that's going to break cover twos because you're going to have Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey. Tyree Kill's going to take the safeties deep. Travis Kelsey's going to bring people to the middle of the field. It's going to leave the flats wide open for the running backs. And if that's consistent, it's over.
0: Here's why I'm optimistic. Not ready to say it's, it's fixed by any stretch. I'm not – we've been here, done that already with the Raiders, and I agree. I think that you – You can only play who's in front of you. The Chiefs, as a good team, did exactly what you should do against a bad team. They blew them out of the water. And I do think that, yes, Sam, to your point, yes, the stat lines are not crazy. Like, there's nobody going off for seven catches, 150 yards, and three touchdowns. Mahomes, um, while wildly efficient at 20 of 24 passing, uh, you know, 258 yards and two touchdowns. No picks, so that is something to, to hold on to. And, but like you said, he did get sacked three times. Not his fault, but that's something to, to watch. The things that I would say that I think are, are hopefully sustainable are, to your point, Sam, because nobody kind of had a huge stat line, even Tyreek, was who led the team in, in targets tied with Kelsey at four, that was the most he got. Everybody else was kind of in that same range of, two targets, three targets. Um, only Travis and Tyreek were targeted four times a piece. That to me is actually encouraging in a way because it says, we know we don't have an X receiver. So let's get the running backs involved to Jago's point. Let's try to find the best possible way to maximize the specialty guys like McCole Hardman, like Josh Gordon, like uh, Byron Pringle, who are not going to you know, come out and just beat anybody one-on-one. But it seems like in this game, there were plays drawn up specifically for those players that were effective. I am hopeful and optimistic that that can continue. Not in, in not the way that they've been trying to to this point where it's like, We are going to force feed five to six targets to Byron Pringle to find out if he's going to be the X receiver because that clearly hasn't worked with any of them. But I think if you can get certain specialty plays drawn up for these guys to where if you have multiple guys on the field that you have to account for at least knowing that, okay, they've drawn up specific things for McColl to get loose deep here. They've drawn up some, you know, like to Jacob's point, short out routes now for Josh Gordon. If you start to line those guys up on the same side of the field, maybe you can create some mismatches. Um, and that those would be the reasons I'm optimistic, the, the involvement of the running backs in the passing game. Because like, like you said, like Clyde Edwards-Alaire didn't have a huge game rushing. Uh, we'd still like to see more of that where he's averaging closer to his career average where it's like four and a half a game. Um, but I do like that they were targeting – Darrell Williams in the passing game. I like, even though like they didn't really get him in space or where he can make plays. I like that. They were trying to involve Clyde Edwards a in the passing game. I think if those things continue against teams who play cover two and are playing a little looser on coverage to try and take away the deep passes, maybe that becomes a more, uh, those still stat lines increase for the running backs in terms of yards gained, um, even if maybe your downfield options aren't as available the way they are against the Raiders. All right. I did want to get a quick pulse check. We're going to have a couple of questions like this on offense and defense on signings. The, uh, I forget Polarosi, I think is how you pronounce his name. NFL network came out, reported that the cap is expected to go up over 208 million. Uh, I'll double check that here. Once I turn it over to one of you guys, but That opens the door on some of these players that we've talked about with extensions, possibly staying with Kansas city, because that's going to be a significant bump from where they've been at this year. So the, one of the biggest questions, and it's kind of been up and down kind of start the year with Orlando Brown jr. But he is kind of one of the more polarizing figures in the, do you extend him? Do you not extend him? There have been times this year where more, more so early in the season where he would get, just smoked like against a guy like a bud dupree who's a definitive speed rusher off the edge but when he comes up against a guy like a bradley chubb just utterly neutralizes him and makes it so that he is nowhere to be seen so my question to you guys is just to get a quick pulse check here since we're going the last quarter of the season have you seen enough from orlando brown jr to want to try and bring him back um we'll flip things around and jacob start with you
2: it's always the same thing. It's like how, for how much money I would say, yes, if it's something not top five tackle ish money wise, you know, I don't have numbers pulled up in front of me, but if he wants to be paid like a top 10 tackle, sure. If he wants to be paid like a top five tackle, you say best of luck in free agency. If it doesn't work for you out there, come talk to us. So that's where I'm at on him just because I think that's what he is. You can't overvalue what he is.
0: Sam, what about you? You had mentioned the right tackle having some problems in this one against the Raiders. How about Orlando Brown Jr.? Has he done enough to where you feel comfortable extending him and making him your left tackle going forward?
1: Yeah, Jacob's right. I mean, it yes, if you're not paying him an arm and a leg. I mean, I think I think with left tackles anymore. If he's any if, if he gets anything over 15 a year. That's too much because right now that would put him as so fifteen a year would put him about the see about the tenth on average tenth highest paid tackle in the NFL. Some of the guys above him, Taylor Wan, you're looking at Laramie Tunsil, Trent Williams, Dave Bakhtiari. So big names ahead of him, obviously, that do demand a lot more money. But I, I think if you can if you can get him for a deal where he's he's not, he's he doesn't deserve to be the highest paid tackle in the game, which is what I think he expected to be. But it, I think if you can if you can get him within that between the five and ten range as the average kind of where they are paid, I think you're looking at a pretty decent deal for him because I do think he is settling into the offense which is, I think, the biggest issue at the beginning of the year where he just didn't look comfortable playing the style of football. And it, definitely some, some big areas where he's not great, and I don't think he's as good as, as he maybe looked when he was with the Ravens. But, yeah, I, I'd resign him just for, for the correct amount, which, again, Jacob and I both kind of swerved your question, but it, it really is. It comes down to money with this one because I think he showed that he is a solid left tackle, just not the highest-paid left tackle in the NFL. I just want to disagree with Sam just a little bit on the number. I Sam, did you say just over 15? Barely. If he if he's over 15, I'd be a little bit. I once it, it reaches 15 how and over. goes higher, I'm starting to look a little ha- skeptical. And yeah. then, again, that all plays into the number of years you're looking at giving him as well. So it's kind of a again, numbers are hard. I was I was looking more at the average per year rather than just the total value because that's when it gets. I wasn't going to do a whole lot of math. You're the math teacher. So you didn't pull the numbers up. So it's not my fault.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just thinking too, you know, cause I actually started looking at the numbers. Your top paid guy is Trent Williams at 23 per and like Sam laid out, you know, once you get around the 10 mark, that's where you're in the $17 million range for the 10 highest paid. So to me, it's like, if they came out and said three years on an $18 million average, I would say, okay, that's fine. Because event, in, cause then, in, two years you're gonna be down around like the 15th to 20th highest paid tackle and that includes left and right but to me that's reasonable and so that's where my money would be as like if you could get him around the 18 ish mark i do it if he's pushing towards 20 i'm like yeah sorry buddy again go try out for agency And the only reason I think we have a tough time with it is because left tackle is one of those positions where it's just like, yeah, if you're not picking high in the draft, you're probably not getting the left tackle you want that you think you're going to have for, you know, 10 to 15 years.
0: And that's where I, I would say I am willing to sign him. Not for, you know, the top tackle. I don't, I think even he would look at it and go, okay, I haven't earned that, but it's just because Trent Williams is an absolute monster. But the reason I'm more inclined to be like, if you want to be a top eight paid tackle for me, I'm on board. Is I don't know who else is available that would play as well as him. I don't. I've looked at free agency. I haven't seen any names that like really jumped off the board at me. And the where the Chiefs are drafting, it's kind of like top pass rushers man like you don't typically get an elite guy when you start getting down to pick 15 and below those those guys are few and far between that get beyond that pick and again it's not like you can't find them anybody you can find guys we didn't think Lajarius Sneed was going to be a pro bowl caliber corner at the fourth pick uh, pick number four when he was drafted and he is like that's what he will he is going forward So you can find those guys, but knowing that, what we've seen when we didn't have a left tackle, when you needed them the most in the Super Bowl, I am more inclined to take a guy who can play above-average football and and maybe has a few deficiencies in taking on things like speed rush and just accommodating for that. Because I do think that that's something the Chiefs did more in this game was they sent backs to chip when someone was trying to line, line up in like a, a seven tech or a nine technique on the outside of the defensive line, they seem to send a running back over to help Orlando Brown more often in this one. So I would be more inclined. to Let's get him in, and if he's a top eight paid tackle, fine, and, and we'll deal with it. We'll, we'll try to figure out the future at that point just because I don't know – what you'd be able to find out there right now that would be close to the same production. Let's flip things and go to the other side of the ball because this was, I think if you're a Raider or a Raiders fan, this is one of the more harrowing uh, experiences you've probably had as a professional or as a fan of your team when the first play from scrimmage results in a fumble and a scoop and score from Mike Hughes this is this was as dominant you can get without, I think, shutting out a team. And it was like that basically from start to finish. Um, before we get into the actual production that we saw on the field, one of the key pieces from this defense, Chris Jones, was just uh, went put into uh, the COVID protocols um, in Rappaport and uh sent out a list of uh, all the players that were put onto the reserve COVID list uh, as of today. And Chris Jones is on that list. Now, if he's vaccinated, he just needs two negative tests within 24 hours of each other. So if he tested negative today um, and can get another negative test tomorrow, he could play on Thursday still. We'll see what happens. But knowing what we just saw from the defense and knowing how impactful Chris Jones was in this game what how should we adjust our expectations for what this defense can be without him thursday night if he's not on the field what should we expect from this unit um sam will come to you first this time
1: you can't say that the the team will be the the defensive lineup is the same without a guy like chris jones in the lineup there's no way you can but again as as a kind of honestly repeated myself the past several weeks, the defense is playing just coherent football. Everything looks like it's working for the first time in a while. I mean, I, I think obviously for those first five or six weeks, we were just like, what is this defense? Past several weeks, we're like, okay, this is what we were thought was going to happen. The addition of Melvin Ingram is the one thing that kind of, helps with if Chris Jones isn't on the field because Melvin Ingram is proving to be crucial to what this defense needed. He is exactly the kind of player I feel like we needed on the opposite side of Frank Clark, who as much crap as I've talked on, Frank Clark is starting to play very well. Um, you're starting to see him get the jumps that he used to get. Obviously, it's had a couple offside penalties, but it, it's lending to the defense just playing better and better. So if this was five weeks ago, And we have the same situation, I would say, not having Chris Jones is a huge detriment. Because of how cohesive the defense has been and how well they're playing, I would say, obviously a loss if he's not on the field, but not a complete detriment that where it's just ruined the defense. Because I think we can have guys that can plug into that role and and play well enough to put a Band-Aid on it, basically.
0: Jacob, how about you? What do you think we can realistically expect from this defense if Chris Jones is unable to go Thursday?
1: Well, keep
2: in mind in 2019, down down a stretch of the season, they didn't have Chris Jones, and it almost forced their defense to become better. They relied heavily. Now, 2019 defensive problems were different than the defensive problems they had early on in this year. 2019, they couldn't stop the run to save their lives. And so was a weird addition of Mike Pinnell, weird in the sense it's just that how much of a difference one guy who has been kind of a journeyman made did you know along with Colin Saunders was playing well and Derek Naughty was playing well so I guess you just hope that the depth that you've built that defensive tackle pays off because you do have a lot of names in there I know Colin Saunders is currently
0: out anybody know if he's supposed to come back no nothing so far I mean they haven't I didn't even think release the specifics of his injury at this point. He's been Did in he get put on IR? Not yet. Huh? Oh, okay. Although but, I mean like, yeah. you're,
2: you're just relying on guys like you said, Jaron Reed, Derek Naughty, hoping that Tershawn Wharton can take the snaps when it's an obvious pass or situation. And you need a good Frank Clark to keep playing at the level that you are because Chris Jones does aid lot on the defense. So Again, I think you can expect them to play good defense, but not not to the same level if you don't have your best defensive player.
0: There are two things that make me feel less horrified about it than I would otherwise. The first is Rashawn Slater, guy who's playing at an all-pro level at left tackle, rookie for the Chargers, is also... Uh, was also put onto the COVID list and is kind of in the same situation as Chris Jones, where if, if, he's vaccinated, he just, he needs those two tests to come back negative within 24 hours of each other. But that's, again, it's not likely for him or Jones. It's, it's such a tight window. It's a hard thing to, to expect or hope for the other is, you know, the stuff you've already talked about with like Melvin Ingram. I think that we can't say enough about that addition. He's been a monster. But also, Jaron Reed, I feel like maybe is getting swept under the rug with that addition and how well Frank Clark and Chris Jones have played. Jaron Reed's played some good football lately. He has played really well in the middle. And if he can continue that and you keep those other two guys playing really well, in a really good... I think they're still in a good enough spot that they could maybe not handle the Chargers, but. Play, still play good enough football that they can sustain the loss of Chris Jones through one game. Just before we move on, I, I realize that half the time on this show, I say, oh, I'll look that up, and then I never come back and tell anybody anything about what we're going to look up. Uh, NFL salary cap is scheduled to be $208.2 million, that according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport and Tom Pellicero. So I wasn't close on the gents' last name, but there you go. Now let's talk about this game. Um, not just about what the Chiefs lost for this upcoming one, but this past week. This the line of scrimmage was dominated by the defense for Kansas City in this one. They absolutely worked the offensive line for for the Las Vegas Raiders, and you know Chris Jones among them. We've mentioned the names Reed, Clark, and Ingram. So. Kind of a similar question to talking about Orlando Brown Jr., but we are now at a point where some decisions have to be made because you can't fill every spot through free agent. Well, I mean, you probably could, but have these guys played well enough that you would bring them back? And out of this list, who would you bring back? Uh, Melvin Ingram is currently on the one-year contract. Um, Jaron Reed is also on the one year deal and Frank Clark. We were all but certain was going to be cut at the end of this year. And it's still, you know, the financially, like some things are going to have to be moved around in order for him to stay. But to Sam's point, he has played much, much better. And, and if you ask the guys like Seth Kaiser, who chart every snap, he's playing the best football he's played as a Kansas city chief. So what. Have they done enough that you would bring them back? And out of those guys, who would you bring back? Um, Jacob, we'll start with you.
2: I'll start with Melvin Ingram. I think, first off, you're looking for the Melvin Ingram of this offseason. and the offseason, the veteran that is kind of sitting out there. I don't think you try to prioritize Melvin Ingram in any way because he is an older player and older guys get hurt. You're looking for the Melvin Ingram of this next year. So, I'm not making him a priority. Yes, he's been good. But I think you also could put yourself in an Alex Okafor type of situation there where like, hey, Alex Okafor played well. That's a guy we need to keep. Now Alex Okafor is not a guy that's playing well and a guy I wish we didn't keep because he plays very clearly a reserve role. And you still have some, you have some depth at defensive end. The issue is the way I'm going to go about this, what I've just said, I'm going to contradict myself because you're still cutting Frank Clark either way or he has to do a complete restructure where essentially he agrees to not make near as much money as he would make. And that's not an easy ask of anybody. Not everybody's Tom Boholi. Not everyone's going to be like, oh yeah, make less money that I already was said I was going to make. Cool. Yeah, I'm on board with that. I mean, who in their right mind would do it? I mean, if my principal walked up to me and said, Jacob, you're loyal to us. Would you take a little less money just to stay at our school? No, no way. <laughs> I would probably quit right there on the spot <laughs> just because I would feel like I got my face spit in. And then Tyron Matthew is a heat check one for me. Cause I'm always like, get rid of him, keep him, get rid of him, keep him, get rid of him, keep him. He's another one where it's like, what does his market work out to be because I don't think safety is as hard to replace as an elite pass rusher, which is what they're going to need, which, again, not easy to get in the draft. You draft in the bottom of the first round, so you might end up having to pay somebody some big bucks in order to get that elite pass rusher, which means you don't only really have the money for the safety. I also am not on board with paying a rush in a ton of money. I'd rather collect a couple pieces that have a little bit of juice and put them all together and see how it goes. So I'm still in pretty much the same camps that I've been in, except for Melvin Ingram. I'm in the boat of go find this year's Melvin Ingram.
0: And what about you? Have any of these guys done enough that you'd be willing to bring them back? Restructure Frank Clark's contract, resign uh, Reed. You know, I didn't have him on the list, but Tyron Matthews, obviously a guy who's up for extension what have you seen that – have you seen enough that you look at it and go, yeah, I would bring these guys back?
1: It's definitely difficult because a lot of these players are guys that – with like Jaron Reed, for, for instance, he was so good in Seattle and we just have not seen that yet. And I think he's a guy that there's no way he's going to be able to demand too high of price. But also, we've got a lot of defensive tackles. And it just depends on who, who costs the – who is the cheapest among them because I don't think you see a big a big skill gap between those guys, between Wharton, um, Saunders, Jaron Reed. I haven't noticed things that just each one – anyone stands out more than the other. And you've got Chris Jones on the other side. So, I, I guess with those – him, it's just kind of like, okay – do you want to pay him, or do you want to maybe pay Colin Saunders or or Wharton a little less for similar production? the The rush ends are where it gets interesting for me because I I think Frank Clark is is probably done as a Kansas City Chief, and it's not as much to it's a big part of the money. Um, but the thing is, I, again, I hate bringing it up, but it is a looming thing is this guy still has criminal charges. He has to deal with. And it's obviously it's one of those things that when he plays well, we don't think about stuff like that, but there is still going to be something that occurs with that. That's not something that's just going to be dropped because Frank Clark had a good year. (laughs) Like it's going to occur at some point in time.
2: Um, Uh, A Sam counterpoint.
1: It, it worked out for Kobe Bryant that way. yeah. To an extent, yes, that is true. But it, it, I don't think Frank, I don't think Frank Clark, Kobe Bryant, those aren't on the same level of uh, level of star power there. But but that that's going to be a big issue, and and because of that, I don't I don't know if the Chiefs are going to want to put in the effort to restructure with them. Melvin Ingram is the one that I'm I'm torn the most on I think, and that's because I don't think he I think you will be able to get him at a, a cheap enough price where I think it's worth having him on the team. And I would like to see him for what I've seen so far. Again, this is a very limited sample size. We've seen a Melvin Ingram on the Chiefs. I like what I see with him lined up next to uh, Chris Jones. So uh, of those three, it's, I would like to see Mar- Melvin Ingram resign. Number one, Jaron Reed is a maybe and Frank Clarkson no. So that's kind of my answer with those three. I'm with, I'm with Jacob with, with Tyron Matthew, where it's just, I feel like each week I have a different answer this week. I, I, I am a like, yes, I, I he's just, he's an integral part of the defense. He does so much. And other weeks I'm like, is he going to be worth paying as much as we to pay him to keep him on the roster? So I, I'm torn on him in, in reality, he's probably the only one I don't have a true answer for, but for for me, it's, Surprisingly, because he's been on the team for the shortest amount of time, Melvin Ingram's the one that I would be interested the most in probably resigning just because I think he does offer offer quite a bit, even if he does start to become more of a pass rush specialist um, as he continues to get older. Because we've seen he is a very good one at that.
0: I'll cover Tyron Matthew first because I hadn't even put him on the rundown, but you guys made me start to think. The only reason, and I do mean the o- not not the only reason, but the biggest reason is one that you brought up, Sam, uh, why I wouldn't re-sign Tyron Matthew. And that's because I think Lajarius Sneed can be that guy where he kind of floats all over the field. He already kind of does that outside-inside corner bit. Um, he's played safety before. You, you, I think, have a guy who can kind of do all of those things. So if you have a guy who can replace a Tyron Matthew, which <laughs> – maybe you can replace what he does on the field who knows what he if you can ever replace what he does in the locker room um, his leadership his instincts there's, there's a lot there are a lot of intangibles that are hard to quantify for for anybody but especially you know someone like me who's never played football so maybe that way you end up moving on from matthew if you think sneed can be the guy on the field and you you hope that there are other leaders in the locker room who can step up otherwise i think i'm I'm leaning more and more to bringing him back just because of what you said, Sam, he is such an integral part of the defense in that emotional and intellectual leader on the field. We'll see. As far as the defensive lineman, I actually kind of went the other way. I think if Jaron Reed continues to play like he has these last couple of weeks, I am more on board with bringing him back maybe than the other two just because I think you can take a lot of pressure off of the ends if you're getting interior pressure. And if Chris Jones isn't getting double teamed and can still can create from the interior, or if Jaron Reed's the one getting single, uh, single blocked and can create pressure, all of a sudden they can't double your, your pat your ends. And maybe those, that will offer the opportunity to go find other pieces that are more affordable. Melvin Ingram is, is almost a 1A or 1B for me, I should say. Um, it just depends on what kind of con- – to your guy's point about Orlando Brown Jr. for him, it's about what kind of contract. Because I'm sure after he's played this well, like if he continues to play like this into the playoffs and he makes some big plays that help them get deep into the playoffs or even at the Super Bowl, he's going to command, I, I think, a bigger contract than maybe I'm ready to pay. Because he is such a, a prominent name in the NFL and has been – a really successful pass rusher and is honestly a lot better against the run than I would have thought for a guy, his size in this defense, he's not nearly as big as Frank Clark and he does really well against the run. Um, Frank Clark, I would love to have back if it was like on a one year deal, but I don't think you're going to be able to get him to do that. And I think restructuring, with like maybe converting stuff to, uh, to a signing bonus and trying to clear cap space, you're just kicking that can down the road again. And I don't know how long you can do that with how Mahomes contract is starting to play out, especially when you have other guys that you need to resign like or need to make the decision on whether or not you're going to resign like an Orlando Brown Jr. and a Tyron Matthew. Last thing on the defense where we look ahead to this Thursday night game, which We're recording this here on Tuesday, December 14th. But as you're listening to it, it's actually sometime probably on Thursday. So this is going to lead you right into kickoff. What a wonderful world you get to live in. Last thing here, again, on the defense is uh, Willie Gay Jr. and Nick Bolton actually ended up playing a significant amount of the snaps. And because of how, how badly the Chiefs were beating the Raiders, we actually got to see Nick Bolton playing a lot of Mike linebacker, even in dime defenses, definitive passing situations where he was on the field. Again, whether or not I, I didn't watch him closely enough to give it a definitive, like, wow, he looks really good in coverage or anything like that. Um, it's kind of hard to see all that uh, from the TV broadcast at times, especially if you're not looking for it. But I thought that that was – one encouraging that they got that much time and hopefully something that they will be able to take with them going forward. And so my question to you guys is how long before Nick Bolton and Willie Gay Jr. are three down linebackers? Do you think that it's possible for, for both of them to be three down linebackers? Because to this point, as we've talked about at nauseam on this podcast, seems like a lot of the times when you get to third down, They're bringing in Daniel Sorensen and Ben Neiman to be your your nickel-and-dime linebackers in obvious passing situations. How long, now that we've gotten to see them with the the majority of snaps and getting to see Bolton specifically in coverage situations, how long do you think it would take before those two R3 down linebackers, um, Sam, will come to you?
1: It's definitely not happening this year. um, I can tell you that. And it's going to be an interesting – case to see if Spagnola will allow that because in all of our experience watching as, as a defensive coordinator with us, he's never really kept the same linebackers on the field for three straight downs. And maybe that is a product of the the personnel he had to work with that. He just never felt comfortable with it. I will say, I I think seeing with uh, Willie Gay is a guy that should be on the field. All three downs. I I don't care with his his athleticism. You you need a guy like that on on the field, and Bolton is starting to to show that he's not lost in pass coverage, and I think that's the big thing. Is is I think there was a, a hesitance maybe early on of him still kind of getting used to the speed of the game and, and getting a little lost in pass coverage. We didn't see that as much this week. Um, at least again, it's kind of hard just to focus on a single linebacker um, if you don't have overhead shots of the defense, but he he did seem to be in the right places at the right time. So it it's definitely something I'll, I'll look for moving into next year, excuse me, next year. Um, but it, it definitely won't happen this year. I I don't think um, at least not both of them on the field at the same time. I don't think, I think there's still a lot of trust for whatever reason in Dan Sorensen and, and Ben Neiman, which again, apparently no chief fan understands what, what the appeal of that is, but there, there is trust there. And, and I think until there's that level of trust with both Willie Gay and Nick Bolton, you won't see them both on the field at the same time, all three downs.
0: What about you? How long before we get to see both Bolton and Gay as three down linebackers?
2: I think Sam's timeline is right. You're not going to see it till next year. Officially. Steve Spagnuolo is a slow one to trust the players in full-time roles. He has his guys that he loves and he trusts, and he has to have a whole city with pitchforks and torches going after him in order to bench those players. So, to fully bench somebody, I can only imagine what Willie would have to do. And I'm glad that Sam saw the Bolton snaps because I noticed that he was out there, and then I must have just lost my attention or something because I did not focus on the snaps all that well. It could have also been that we, no, I think uh, I think maybe it was just getting a baby ready. That's what it was. So, I think that's why I didn't see those snaps. So, I apologize as the, uh, for, to the podcast and the
0: listeners. How dare you take care of your child, Jacob? Let's go ahead and look ahead now to this Thursday night matchup which really you can make the argument is for the AFC West. Now there could be obviously be a collapse of the chiefs and the next three games, the Chargers went out, something weird happens, but chiefs right now are a game ahead of the chargers and the chargers have a tiebreaker on the chiefs from earlier this season. So this game is as vital as it gets at this point. So, I mentioned earlier the Chargers could be without Rashawn Slater, barring two negative COVID tests. Um, It was reported today that Keenan Allen was activated off the COVID-19 reserve list. There is still some doubt about Austin Eckler's status in this one for the Chargers. So first question out the gate, how does all of this affect your expectations for this game coming up? What do you expect to get from the Chargers? How does this affect how you think the Chiefs can handle them? Uh, Jacob, we'll come back to you here to start things off.
2: I think I heard it best from, you know, one of our favorites in Surin Petro of, for those of us that forgot the game, they lost by six. They were minus four in the turnover battle, which is the same thing the Raiders did this week. So essentially they have to not be the Raiders this week, and it'll be a much more competitive game. That's that encouraged me because I was like, you know what, I didn't think about that. Then he went down the list of guys that didn't play in that first matchup. And that was kind of crazy as well, because Ward was not out there. Willie Gay did not play. Melvin Ingram wasn't on the team. Chris Jones hadn't slid back to D-tackle. We might not see Chris Jones anyway. But I was like, oh, you know what? That's a little more encouraging than I had thought because I thought it's was like, okay, it's gonna have to be good in Mahomes, or this one might might be kind of rough. Herbert still is a tough one for me to figure out just because he has all the physical tools, but sometimes it just, it just seems like things are off in a way or decision-making gets strange. Again, I'm sticking to it. Weirdly teams end up with the same players. He's Philip Rivers to me still. So I hope that he can do the same thing Philip Rivers would do down the stretches of games. So I'm, I'm weirdly optimistic, but also, please don't bet any money on this game. If I can teach you one thing as an NFL fan, don't put any
0: money or make any predictions about Thursday night games. Sam, what about you? What is this rash of uh, health and injury issues that the Chargers are experiencing affect what you you think will occur uh, on Thursday night?
1: Jacob's right. The the first game was a calamity of errors. I mean, you think back about the two interceptions. First one, Marcus Kemp not being able to catch a ball and just going straight through his hands and again, slightly thrown behind him, but still in the hands and pick. Second one was Asante Samuel Jr. showing that, yeah, he's got the ball skills his dad had, making just a ridiculous interception. And so I, I think with the the turnover battle not being a factor or hopefully knock on wood won't be a factor that's going to be a a big big difference in this game in general and then when you go to looking at the health factors Rashawn Slater is going to be a big one um I think maybe the biggest because they already have a backup tackle starting on the other side and um was Storm Norton Great name, the fantastic name for a football player, Storm Norton. That guy's not, not not great. Um, if you remember, Mike Dana kind of made him look dumb a couple times, and that's Mike Dana. If Frank Clark's playing well, that could be a, a bit of a long game for, for old Justin Herbert with if he's missing both his, his starting tackles at that point. I do think, obviously, Chris Jones plays a factor as we covered if he's not in there. Um, and Keenan Allen is is kind of that guy. I, it's Keenan Allen has everything to be the best wide receiver in the NFL. And I will argue that with anyone. The man cannot stay on the field at all. That's
2: ever. what I was just about to say, except for health.
1: <laughs> like he he has been the most inconsistent player to be able to stay on the field that I think we've ever seen. And, but we do know that he is an incredibly talented football player. So he his his absence obviously helps the Chiefs if he's not there. But again, I, I just think with the 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 defense playing as well as they have, I'm not as concerned with any of those players coming back just because I think that the the defense is just at that point where we've seen Spagnola's defenses get to in the past where things start to roll. And the the fewer players that they have, the better for us. But even with their full full accurate. I think our defense is playing at that level where I'm not as worried.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that made me feel most okay about not having Chris Jones if he doesn't play is that the Chargers probably won't have Rashawn Slater either. And that does seem like it levels things out because, as you said, Sam, and I'll take it a step further, the offensive line of the Chargers isn't great outside of Slater. So I think you do have some chances to, to really take advantage of a suspect offensive line. Especially if Austin Eckler can't go, that's the guy who seems to murder the Chiefs the most because he's typically been on the field more often than Keenan Allen. When Keenan's on the field, he's a nightmare. But it's a matter of Austin Eckler is the one that I think would worry me more. And if he can't go along with Slater, all of a sudden you're in a much better spot.
2: All right, clear this up for me. I think I read it, but i you know, having a tough time remembering right this second. Keenan Allen is on the, in the COVID-19 protocol like Chris Jones.
0: He was. He was just activated today, Tuesday oh, the fourteenth. Okay. For those wondering what today is for us, so he has also injured. been
1: hurt for a good portion of this year as well.
0: It's also that <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. that dude also does not play against
2: the Chiefs. We looked at. I don't remember the numbers. But we looked at this in their first matchup. It was like he has literally missed like half of the games that he could have played against the Chiefs.
0: When he's on the field, he's he's a tough cookie. But when he's not. Which is most of the time, it's like, okay, we don't have to deal with that. You mentioned Justin Herbert Jacob, he's kind of the last thing I want to talk about here before we give our final score predictions because he is an odd cookie. like he is, he's actually, I saw this stat uh, earlier this week. I believe he's the first quarterback in, ever to have in his first two years in the NFL 30 touchdown passes or more. It's kind of a hard pill to swallow for Patrick Mahomes fans, him not being on the list as great as Mahomes has been. But Eckler, or not Eckler, Herbert is that guy. Now, the other thing that makes me think that you can kind of take advantage of of Herbert is actually a positive stat for him is that he leads the league in fourth-quarter comebacks and game-winning drives with five. That's a lot of pressure to put on a guy where he's constantly having to come back. So I want to ask you guys, how would you go about attacking a Justin Herbert? Statistically, he's, hes I don't know what else you want from a quarterback. He's been good. But like you said, Jacob, there are moments where you still see that this is his second year in the NFL. I think the Titans game was one where he ended up with a couple of picks. I have to go back and look. Um, and it's just like, man, this, this, is, this is not the game. And what's, what's going on? So how would you guys go about trying to take to, – to get after Justin Herbert in this one? Um, we'll flip things around and start with you, Sam.
1: Yeah, so it, it's kind of an interesting one with Justin Herbert because as a young quarterback, your initial reaction, especially with how well our defensive line has been playing, is you blitz him because you get him off – out of his comfort level, you get him uh, not moving around and not being as effective except for the fact that Justin Herbert has a 104.7 QBR when he's under pressure, only just a little slightly better than Lamar Jackson, which we know how well that works when we pressure Lamar Jackson. The man is very good under pressure. Uh, Not actually as good while not being pressured. But still, I think with the offensive line woes, you have to put, put pressure on him because, again, they still have big weapons. I mean, Mike Evans or Mike Evans, uh, yeah, Mike Evans. If he's playing, Mike Evans. I did that last time too, didn't I? Yeah, listening. <laughs>
2: you know, what, in fairness, Mike, Mike Williams, Mike Williams, is
1: Mike. basically Mike Evans when he plays the Chiefs. <laughs> That's also true. <laughs> I did that the exact same thing the last last time we talked about Chargers. But <laughs> Mike Williams is the guy that tore us up last week or, or last um, the last matchup, and. Again, and the I previous
2: one before have. that. What? And the previous one before that. That was and how I won the that. fantasy football championship was playing yeah. Mike Williams against the Chiefs.
1: And I don't think uh, we have someone, a quarterback that matches up great with Mike Williams. Um, I Again, I think we have cornerbacks that match up much better with Keenan Allen, surprisingly, than we do with Mike Williams, um, just with the pure speed that he has. So it, it, I think you do have to, not allow Justin Herbert to sit back because the guy has an amazing arm. Um, we don't, we can't deny that he can throw the ball everywhere. He can make just about every throw that Patrick Mahomes can, th- can make. Um, and he has weapons. And so I, I think that the key is not allow, allowing our secondary to work the, the wide receivers in the way they work them, which is sti- tight, sticky coverage, not allowing wide receivers to work themselves open. Um, and The only way to really do that is to not allow Justin Herbert just to sit back there. So I think attacking him wise, it is moving him around, not allowing him to just sit back there and pick you apart, because that's where the secondary shows its weakness, which is just not as much elite speed as what the wide receivers of the Chargers actually possess
0: need to correct myself which is something that probably needs to happen way more often on the show i was thinking of the denver game uh now i haven't actually played the titans this year the chargers but the denver game was one where i looked up and went i don't understand how you're getting worked over by denver here Budge." but uh two touchdown passes in that game with two interceptions as well uh jacob how would you go about trying to take down the uh your your new philip rivers as it were uh i think you you attack a little bit different than Phillip
2: Rivers because Phillip Rivers you'd want to get in his face and get him frustrated. But I almost think that you're running the game plan that frustrated the Chiefs early on in the season of drop a lot of people back, make them find the open spots. Because the weird thing about him is, to this point, he's not as good in the pocket, which is just such a weird thing. Because most quarterbacks, that's where they thrive, is inside the pocket, not being under pressure but that is what i think i would do is just drop people play a lot of zone keep your eyes in the backfield see so if you can grab a few balls away from herbert and frustrate him in the sense of you know there's not a wide open guy that i can just cannon the ball to one thing in the last game from my perspective that i thought was pretty interesting was the way herbert throws to receivers Interests me because he does do a nice job of throwing a lot of jump balls to his guys. But also, I wonder if that can hurt him, you know, because Tom Brady's the near opposite of when you watch Tom Brady throw the ball to the middle of the field, everything is very low because he knows he's like, if that ball doesn't get caught by my guy, this next defender behind him is going to get it. So, just another tiny little interesting thing to me that Herbert did effectively in the last game that I'm curious if, it'll, if it could work a second time, because I do think he was picking on these shorter corners with
0: how he was throwing the ball. I was actually thinking something similar, Jacob, to what you're talking about with the defensive game plan. I would try to employ a cover two system, and I think you can do a couple of things with that. One, you you can not not take it away because it's so good, but You can help neutralize the route running of Keenan Allen where he will just smoke a guy off the line of scrimmage with how great his feet are. And I think you can hopefully neutralize some of that with a zone where they're not having to play the man in front of them. And also I think you can help take away the speed advantage of a Mike Williams. If you have a guy like Juan Thornhill providing help over the top to help neutralize that speed, I think you end up with a much better situation. Make Justin Herbert uh, throw to spots. You know, let's let's see if he, can, if he can pick apart your defense when he's not under pressure, when he has to sit in the pocket. Uh, you know, and there's nothing to say he can't. Like, he's, he's had a terrific year. There's no denying. It's 30 touchdowns, on only 11 picks. You know, he's completing 67% of his passes like I said he's led his team to game winning drives in the fourth quarter five separate times. There's not a whole lot else you can ask for a guy at least on paper. So my but to this point this seems to be the best route is don't bring extra pressure, don't play man to man against guys like Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Let's let's see if he can beat you trying to go over the top.
2: Sean and you are covered too I failed to hear you say that the dan Sorensen sprint 20 yards running backwards at the beginning of the play as part of the cover two system
0: because i saw that that silly thing was happening again this week they really like to run that don't they where he comes (laughs) off the line and it's like and bail and it's like (laughs) just start with two deep safeties man start there
2: Listen, I don't think you have to understand football to even understand why that wouldn't work. Anybody that has tried to run while looking over their shoulder understands there's not many places you can
0: change your direction to without falling down or hurting yourself. Like, I appreciate them wanting to give Dan Sorensen a running start backwards so that he doesn't get beat deep. But at the same time, you could start him back there and it wouldn't be as big of an issue. (laughs) All right, guys, let's get final score predictions and we'll get out of here. Uh, last week, Jacob, you predicted a 30 to 20 win for Kansas City. I was 28 to 7. Sam, you were 27 to 10. So we're getting better, I think. Kinda. Uh we were closer with the Raiders this week anyway, on their side of the what, score. What did you
2: say? My prediction was I missed it.
0: 30 to 20. Okay. So you were the closest to the Chiefs score out of all of us. <laughs> Uh, I just didn't realize the Chiefs were going to double up my score, so we'll so see can how I, we get any closer.
1: Can I ask, like, why in our brains did we think the Chiefs just put up forty points on the Raiders two weeks before that? Did they that for me specifically that they were going to score twenty-eight points? That's my like. My brain is now trying to wrap my head around why that was <laughs> my answer. What logic why we're so mad at this, apparently, is we don't learn from history. Sam, Sam, I'm glad
2: you're finally admitting you understand why I disagree with you so often. You're coming to terms with it, Jacob. yeah, <laughs> you
0: said the Raiders are going to score 20, 20 points.
2: points. <laughs> hey, listen, I expected a kind of tired effort from the Chiefs. I'm so just like, yeah, we already beat these guys two weeks ago.
0: Yeah, well then, yeah, well, I I don't know. I don't have a good reason for why I picked twenty eight seven. Other than I didn't think the offense was going to be yeah, at least, you, at
2: least you predicted a blowout. Yeah, I, I, mean, I just didn't predict that the Raiders would come out with even more of a tired effort than I thought the <laughs> Chiefs would.
0: Yeah, it was not good. I mean, we'll, we will try to be better now. Like, like we said, you know, if we're going to try and learn from history, last time the Chiefs uh, lost to the Chargers 30 to 24. So In the spirit of learning from history, uh, Jacob, we'll let you lead off. What do you think the final score will be for this time around with the Chargers?
2: 30 to 24, the Chiefs this go around.
0: Kind of love that. We'll see.
2: It's going to be a six point game. It's always a one score game when the Chiefs and the Chargers play. Again, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is, it's always a one score game. It can be Chase Daniel versus the best Phillip Rivers team there is, it would still be a one touchdown game.
0: Sam, what about you? What do you think this final is going to be?
1: Let's go a higher score in fair. Um, I do think there are enough weapons on the Chargers that could give the defense some trouble. Let's go 38 to 24.
0: I will say – I don't have a good feel for this one at all. I'll say it's 35 35- – to 28. I think Chris Jones' loss is going to hurt, um, but I think that losing Rashawn Slater will be enough that the defense can hold them in check, even if they do give up you know, the four touchdowns. Uh, we will see. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for us tonight. We appreciate you spending uh, your Thursday morning or afternoon with us. Hopefully you will uh, be back with us next week. We'll get to be talking about a definitive first place chiefs and hopefully a number one seed chief. We'll see what happens until next time. Y'all stay safe out there and we will talk to you next week.